Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today. This is episode 157, and today we'll be chatting with Adi Pinar, the founder of Conversio. Adi is based in Cape Town, South Africa, and previously co-founded WooThemes, an e-commerce platform for WordPress, which bootstrapped their way to over 150,000 customers. Today, Adi is continuing to help e-commerce entrepreneurs worldwide, building stronger businesses through his latest startup, Conversio, an all-in-one marketing dashboard that helps you sell more. Adi joins us to share his story, how he started his career in entrepreneurship, what it was like transitioning WordPress templates into a full e-commerce platform, what it's like bootstrapping a company, how he's approached building his latest project, Conversio, and much more. So once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hack to start drop us an email, hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. Hey, Adi. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Yeah, we're super excited to have you on the show to share your story, your insights in entrepreneurship, tech, growing e-commerce-based startups, and much more. But before we dive into that, we'd like to dive into a little bit more about yourself. So where are you from and what did you study? Interesting combination of question there, but um, I'm from born and bred Cape Town, South Africa, so very kind of down south. Um, and then uh, I studied, I, I have a bachelor's degree in accounting, and I, I did extra here honors degree in um, business management, general business management. That's really cool. So how did your passion for tech and entrepreneurship really develop? I think mostly, I would say mostly my dad. So my dad used to, well, he's not anymore, but he used to be an entrepreneur running his own businesses. Um, and at the time, he also had a, f- a finance kind of background that was complemented by uh, his interest in tech. So he did a bit of you know, comp sci back in the day, doing the punch cards thing at, at university. And because he got involved in that, I mean, he exposed me to both those worlds, you know, both technology and, and entrepreneurship in general. So, I mean, I had, I had a computer in my room from, from a young age. Uh, my dad taught me how to do basic, you know, DOS programming, and then kind of, you know, going from that interest in computers or technology in general, um, you know, ultimately to kind of, you know, later in high school and learning more about business from my dad just seemed like, you know, such a. It seemed like an obvious route to to eventually take when I had to kind of make a decision uh, about my career path. It's really great to see how you, you know, you've gained your entrepreneurships through those family roots. So from school, how did you start your career, and and what were some of your first jobs that you had the chance to work at? So during university, I, I kind of only job I proper job that I did, except for you know kind of working for my dad on on weekends and holidays uh, within his business, mostly doing data capturing. Um, I was also a very bad waiter, um, you know, at, at a couple of restaurants for for a while um, during the holidays. <clears throat> but the only kind of you know real adult job that I did um, after university was um, a corporate gig that I had for about two months before I actually quit to to, to start with him. So I had very little experience, or at least kind of you know, well employment experience at least. Um, and I said I mean I was limited. My adult that part that I would define as you know, semi adult was limited to to only two months before I eventually kind of moved on. That's great to see that you just kind of dove into entrepreneurship. So as you mentioned, you a little bit of WooThemes. So you were previously the co-founder. For those who may not know what WooThemes is, what is it and what motivated you to launch it? Yeah, so um, so when we started out, WooThemes was, was doing what we called premium WordPress themes at the time, which 
was just a, a nice way of saying, um, you know, kind of these themes had a little bit something, kind of you know, something more than the, the free themes that were available back then. And it was also going to be supported. You would basically pay and, you know, we would support you to do certain things, you know, with that. Um, and with themes, obviously, I mean, today, with themes uh, almost doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it completely morphed into to WooCommerce, which was what we got into kind of later in that journey, which uh, is a, just a, you know, so WooCommerce is an e-commerce uh, plugin built on top of WordPress. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, kind of going back to why uh, I got involved in that, um, it was mostly around this idea. So I think the context was that I was doing custom client work for people based on top of WordPress. This was 2006, 2007. WordPress was just starting to grow and, you know, starting, starting to become um, an almost viable CMS for, you know, kind of more than just a blog. Um, so I was doing custom work for clients and I really wanted to democratize the work that I was doing for those customers um, and make it available and accessible at a, at a price point that would be able to basically support you know, loads of you know small businesses, and not just the you know the handful that I was able to kind of you know service with with my time. And I think you know looking back at that journey, at least that 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 kind of passion for smaller business and this idea of democratizing a you know the whether it's kind of powerful functionality at a at a more accessible price point is definitely something that you know that I come back to personally you know quite often and and try and incorporate in the things that I even do to you know to this day. That's really cool. I remember, I remember diving into to front end development with uh, WordPress several years ago, and and those were the early days of WooThemes. So I've been following kind of your story and the creation of the, that those themes from an early day. So it's really cool to see that it kind of morphed just a, a beautiful theme that could sit on top of a WordPress site, a full e commerce solution for WordPress. I, I mean, Tyler, I definitely hope you didn't try and learn front end dev um, you know, from, <laughs> from, from from me because you know, yeah. you know, open source code and all that would have been you know quite risky. Him. And I was always a very, very average designer and developer. <laughs> no, it's still, it, it inspired me, I should say that. So it was really cool to see kind of that come about. So funny enough, how did you come up with, you know, the branding for Woo Themes? And, and what does, you know, how did you come up with this specific name? Yeah, so um, I, what most people would forget is uh, just before WooThemes um, got its name. So I mean, when I initially launched the first product that eventually kind of turned into you know, WooThemes, and that led to me meeting Magnus and Mark, the co-founder of WooThemes, me, it was called Premium News Theme, which was a, a really, really average kind of brand name to use. But then when um, things started kind of you know, progressing, um, so initially we, you know, Magnus, Mark, and I worked under that moniker, and then when things started progressing and we decided to take this on full time, we were starting to brainstorm names and what. I can remember was Magnus came up with the with the name WooThemes and it was mostly based on on two things. One was the fact that we were working on themes. Another was that um, so this is middle 2008 and um, in 2007 Woot was um, you know kind of voted as the internet's word of the year. Um, and I think some of the bigger dictionaries worldwide have actually accepted it as uh, you know as an entry into into the dictionary. So we you know Magnus basically suggested you know just combine the two and um, you know let's let, let's go with that. I think the interesting thing though for that was that. You know, that's kind of the, the quirky, fun nature of the name, you know, was only one half of the brand, um, at least. I mean, I, th I think this is something that, that I've been very passionate about is that the brand is not just the, the name or the visual part, but we definitely kind of you know, try to augment that um, by doing kind, of, you know, kind of doing two very concrete things. The one was, I think at the time, we our products were very innovative, but the thing that we were very well known for back then was was actually our support and you know that that was a big 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 part uh, customer support right that was a big part of what we were building kind of and doing in terms of brand building at least at the time especially in those you know first couple of years you know that's that's really good how you guys have approached building the brand so to, to elaborate on that a little bit further how did you guys just get your first couple of customers 
So I think we were mostly lucky, and I, I think most people listening would, would agree about that when I explain or tell how you know kind of how things actually happened. So back then, kind of the the whole I would say the whole online landscape wasn't as competitive and saturated as it is today. So I mean, I I had a blog at the time, um, and I've always been a especially back then been a very average writer. But I managed partly due to my writing and partly due to putting out free WordPress themes, um, my blog got a you know a hell of a lot of traffic. I mean, some days it would easily go beyond you know 8,000 unique visitors which was kind of you know, significant back then um, so the first the first products that I launched and sold I, I did so exclusively off my own blog and it wasn't up until um, you know a couple of months after those initial product releases that we actually moved with themes to you know to its own site as I mentioned with, with kind of you know, premium news themes um, and then eventually rebranded to to with themes itself but by the time we had rebranded to with themes we almost had I mean I, I can't remember the numbers in terms of actual unique customers at the time but we had built up enough of a following and um, almost a recurring purchase or re- repeat purchase rates um, amongst those existing customers that you know we could just kind of you know grow from from there or use that as a foundation for for further growth. Yeah, no, for sure. I definitely have to say I was I was a repeat customer, and I remember the early days where I just had such an amazing experience, and you know, Woo themes just stood out compared to all the other themes that were out there. And and you know, it's going back to just making sure the customer has a good experience from day one, and if they they do, then the likelihood of them being a repeat customer is there. So that's great to hear. Thanks for your support, and I mean, I I think you know we, we were in no means perfect in that sense, and. I think what would be, you know, even to, to this day, if you know, there was a way for us to, you know, for me to analyze the data now, I mean, I, I would actually love to to know how kind of how good our retention was, you know, kind of. But anecdotally, I know that you know some of our earliest, you know, kind of you know customers, um, you know, kept buying the new stuff that we put out. I mean, um, you know, to the extent that even you know to today, you know, with with Convergio, for example, like I, I still recognize names from kind of those early days in themes and they they just come back and that relationship just keeps going so i think and as i said i mean it's it's at least anecdotal but there's at least some notion here that when we managed to do things right by our customers we you know we really did build deep meaningful relationships so themes was completely bootstrapped so what advice or insights would you have to others founders who are looking to bootstrap their own company for me, bootstrapping was the only way to do certain things um, and to kind of run a business. But kind of where I sit today, I think it's I'm, I'm more of the mindset that um, you know no one should no entrepreneur should be an extremist uh, in terms of this. And what I mean with that is like I, I always think kind of bootstrapping and or self funding, whatever you kind of you know how you do that is. I mean, it's a, it's a great you know way to go, great path to take. But you know, we kind of fundraising or taking any kind of external funding isn't you know isn't all that bad either. And I actually think that if you consider those two things at the, as the kind of extremes on the spectrum, um, that the best option for any entrepreneur, any startup, is probably somewhere in the middle and uses some kind of hybrid of both. So something interesting that I see today, for example, is that. You know, there's many startups that raise a very small seed round and they kind of, you know, use that to just get started. But then they can kind of ramp revenues up quickly and get to kind of, you know, break even, you know, minimal profitability and then just kind of, you know, grow organically or within their means, you know, from there. So, you know, that to that extent, I mean, bootstrapping is also just a, a, a kind of discipline. So, like, that's the kind of the, probably the best advice that I could give anyone. Like, just don't be an extremist. Like, don't be exclusively focused on you know one way to 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 grow a business and then kind of exclude all all other options i think the best skill that any any entrepreneur can have is to at least consider all options um you know before picking you know one of those or or even a hybrid of those options 
That's some great advice. So fast forward today, you're working on a really cool startup called Conversio. So can you tell us a bit more about this company and how did you get started? Yeah, so um, Conversio is a, we pitch it as a all-in-one marketing dashboard for, for e-commerce stores. And um, the idea behind the product at least is that we're trying to you know, combine and consolidate a bunch of different marketing tools that e-commerce you know, startups or teams would generally use for, you know, for their marketing. Um, and we put everything into to, to one dashboard so that the tools can essentially kind of talk to each other and the whole workflow and user experiences you know, within a single dashboard instead of having to you know, duct tape um, you know, or you know, connect you know, a bunch of separate tools and then have to kind of log into separate tools to, to manage this on a, on a daily basis. And I think part of that is where uh, that mindset, you know, comes from this focus on, on, on smaller business where, you know, we're talking about smaller teams, you know, people, you know, most of the times it's the, you know, solo owner or, you know, one of the co-founders that have to, you know, has to run kind of sales, marketing and shipping your know, product, for example. So if we, you can save them, if we can save them some time, at least in terms of their marketing, then, um, you know, that's a win. In terms of kind of why I started Converge, I think uh, it kind of there's three things that mostly contributed. One was kind of post WooThemes, um, once I'd exited, I really wanted to try my hand at, you know, at, at SaaS and, and specifically kind of recurring revenue. That was something that we didn't have much of, um, you know, at WooThemes. And that's kind of one of the entrepreneurial things that I wanted to explore. And also felt that to augment that almost Converge was, um, was a way for me to at least leverage part of my kind of you know, past knowledge and experience kind of building considering the, the latter parts of the WooThemes journey was totally focused on, on, on WooCommerce and, and thus building an ecosystem so kind of uh, of tools around WooCommerce around the core product so I definitely felt that I could leverage that past experience but the ultimate thing that kind of you know was the the, the tipping point for me was uh, literally just the epiphany I had when I when I read an article about um, that proposed kind of that email receipts would be a could be a marketing opportunity at least and um, I can remember this is back in I think April 2014 and I remember reading the article and just having that kind of aha moment about you know what this could be and then you know very quickly kind of you know at least connecting back to my those personal dots which was that I, I could build something that would have recurring revenue that could leverage my my past experience. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I remember when you launched the first concept which was mainly around receipts. Did it go from that and then convert it into Convergio? So essentially what happened for us is, so we, we launched as Receiptful. So this is at the kind of end of 2014. And the initial idea was for it to be, um, again, coming from our kind of bootstrap roots, was for us to have a paid product around email receipts. And um, what we very quickly learned after that first launch was that our feedback loop was going to be, kind of, was going to take too long um, and was going to be impossible for us to actually induce and, and accelerate to actually build out this tool. Because at that stage, we didn't know that email receipts could drive value and engagement um, and subsequent conversions for those merchants. So and we knew that kind of charging for the product at that stage from you know, charging from day one was only, only going to add friction uh, to that well to the adoption and getting us that feedback loop so we made the decision in that kind of a second week after launch that we would make our receipts completely free and that we would basically kick the you know the can down the road in terms of you know, monetizing the product down the line but what we did it was at least kind of you know, we were clear about the fact that we were eventually the things we were going to monetize and build up which was mostly around building complementary tools around email receipts for other types of customer you know, interactions. So we started doing that about six months later and started kind of growing revenue. We basically grew to the point where we often heard, so we had kind of at that stage, at this point, we had, I think, five or six core tools. So not just email receipts, things like kind of follow-up emails, cart abandonment emails, on-site widgets, those kinds of things. And um, we would often hear from customers things like, oh, I didn't know that you guys had tools that, you know, beyond the, the receipts, um, which literally meant that, that the name, even though kind of we had you know, fallen in love with the name Receiptful, you know, kind of it, it was limiting. So we ultimately rebranded to Conversio in November last year. 
That's amazing. It's so great to see, you know, initial concepts and then having this concept grow into a full-fledged product. So it's great to, great to hear the success that you've had so far with uh, Conversio. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's definitely been a fun ride. And I think, you know, for me, at least personally, I mean, I always had, you know, a bit of a kind of my, my brain was in a bit of a kind of fight or flight mode. But I always had this, uh, this question of myself, which was, um, you know, was you know, Wootheme just a one-hit wonder for me? And that was was I just a, a one, you know, one-hit wonder? So it's, it's definitely been a, a great experience getting beyond that and, you know, kind of growing a, a, a company and team again, getting to profitability and getting to a point actually where we're now able to work towards our goals and, and, and mission um, and have fun, you know, whilst doing that. That's amazing. So you briefly talked about the team. So you guys are completely remote. So how do you approach managing a remote team and what processes do you leverage to keep everyone on the same page? Yeah, so um, I mean, this is one of the things I think that is probably you know kind of even though you know today we have we, there's more tools and there's more you know content and, and and basically learning and insights to go about how to manage a remote team compared to at least you know, a couple of years ago with with teams where there were very few people doing it and the tools weren't up to scratch necessarily. But I still think this is one of those things where that's still evolving and I don't think anyone has a, a kind of perfect formula yet. I know that with Conversio we we don't yet have a, a perfect formula, but there's two kind of there's two things that that stand out at least that we do. You know, kind of try and do and I think the first is um, this idea of proactive transparency about almost everything right? so what that means for us is that you know we share and I share everything with the team except for individual salaries that's the only thing that you know, is not available to the team but everyone has access to the, the finances and you know beyond just that information what I've tried to do is at least kind of demystify the, the way things work and the way we make decisions so even in when I'm thinking through um, you know a decision that probably most companies would regard as like this is a decision for the founders to make. I would kind of involve the team in that decision making. And even though that ultimate responsibility for the decision may come down to me, still kind of, you know, getting the whole team involved in that thinking helps with kind of almost forming that idea of this is how we do things at Conversion. And I think the second part that relates um, you know, deeply to that is we um, we often discuss our, our values and our values as a team and, and specifically how that relates to individual decisions that we make. Um, you know, whether that's kind of releasing a new feature and, you know, kind of putting fail-safe or kind of almost preventative measures that, that our merchants, for example, can't be kind of abused or be too aggressive with this marketing tool because aggressive marketing isn't within our values, for example. So, um, and ha- kind of, you know, so we're very clear about those values. We bring it often in, you know, up often in, in, in conversation. Um, and I think that proactive transparency along with the values, what it ultimately does is it shapes a culture of at least feeling like we all know how you know, how the cogs in our machine works at least, um, which ultimately means that's the thing that binds us together as a remote team. Like, even though we're in different time zones and we don't see each other often in person, at least this way that we work, this way that we work that we're clear about is a thing that binds us. Yeah, those are, I think, two great kind of foundational pieces to have a successful remote remote team. I think transparency is, is totally key. And even going a step further is sometimes I wish there was a, a feature in Slack where you would be able to shut off direct messages because I think all conversations should be, you know, openly and transparent so that multiple people can come in and voice their opinions towards certain features or tasks or projects that individuals are working on. Exactly. I mean, and uh, so I mean, I interesting enough, I I tried that with the team. I so early on, um, I would encourage the same thing. So you know, instead of kind of you know sending someone a, a direct private message, you know, do it in the public channel at least. And you know, one of my kind of metrics of success is I think you know Slack sends a, a weekly di- digest where they give you a ratio of how many kind of you know private message messages were sent versus uh, public messages. And I basically use that as a metric to determine how 
transparent the team was. Um, ultimately, what we found was that that created a lot of noise. And I think, you know, most team members preferred that the kind of the idea that at least some conversations made, you know, made sense and, you know, smaller groups or private groups, even or one on one. But that definitely is an interesting idea. And I think, you know, kind of you even mentioning that, I think, shows how we have much better tools today than you know, a couple of years ago. But those tools still have we still have to think through exactly how we use those tools in an effort to, you know, to get to almost kind of remote working utopia, if we can call it that. Yeah, for sure. I think I think the the one problem to solve is that noise, like you've mentioned. Like as great as the tool Slack is, there is that barrier where you know people are saying it is Slack the new email, where you know you have to go through several conversations to go to Slack zero or inbox zero. So exactly. So given your experience in the e-commerce space and the problems that Conversio aims to solve, what were some of the biggest mistakes you see new e-commerce entrepreneurs making? So we have a bit of a almost a macro view on on the greater uh, e-commerce ecosystem, especially because we, we also integrate with three big e-commerce platforms, being WooCommerce, Shopify, and BigCommerce. So with that kind of macro view, I think that the thing that I most often see is there seems to be, especially for newer stores, newer e-commerce entrepreneurs that fall into e-commerce as kind of this uh, very vibrant, almost hypey spaces. They seem to be taking a very kind of you know cookie cutter approach in terms of the things that they're selling, which mostly means they're reselling goods that they can buy you know cheaply on alibaba or you know from from other sources and i think the problem with that is that if you don't have a very unique product and you know you're ultimately competing against loads of other people that are doing the exact same thing um which means it's very hard to to stand out from the crowd like this almost comes to and which is probably the bigger challenge related to that is I'm not sure that kind of, or at least the 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 less successful, uh, whatever kind of how you want to define success, but less successful kind of stores don't seem to be to really know who their ideal kind of customer is, which also by extension means that they don't know how to speak to them or find them or appeal to them, which is ultimately kind of the the, the ways that they're going to grow their business. Speaking a little bit more, what what's next for Conversio in the next couple of months or years? From a product, you know, perspective, and almost commercially speaking, um, we're we're very focused on just maturing the all-in-one marketing dashboard and tools that we have at the moment, and then kind of you know to to, to augment that work, we we have a quite you know, diverse lineup of um, you know products that relates to kind of big data. We we're playing around with ideas for a bit of a consumer play, um, as well as a as a non-profit initiative. But um, I think kind of, so I mentioned we were profitable today and like we have enough breathing room to kind of have some fun and kind of fun links to kind of important stuff to, uh, you know, for us as well, which, which means we're actually hoping to start a little bit of a wider conversation within the you know, greater you know, tech and startup ecosystem about the, the way people work. So kind of one of the things that, that we've adopted um, at Convergio from, from kind of very early on is this, this idea of having a, a life or, or, or family first culture, uh, which is basically the idea that the most meaningful thing that we can do most of the times in our life is to kind of spend our life having you know, loads of great experiences with the people that kind of matter most. So we're we're not the kind of startup that's kind of pushing you know 80 hour weeks at all um and we do kind of many many things that are people focused and you know that helps the team members to get back into their lives and and not spend all the time kind of you know stuck at work so that's kind of um you know that's just part of the the wider you know kind of mission and as i said i mean there will always be the the commercial stuff that we're working on but this is something that's very close to our hearts and as i said we're we're, we're just hoping to you know kickstart a a wider and deeper conversation around you know these ideas that we have that's amazing i love seeing you know companies really put the the family and people first approach to to their you know mission and vision so it's really great to see how you guys will adapt that in the next couple of months of years I'm looking forward to following your guys story 
Cool. <laughs> so what's the startup scene like in South Africa and what have been some of the biggest benefits and or challenges in building a company from there? Yeah, so um, I mean the the greater kind of startup you know scene is is vibrant and it's it's growing and uh, in terms of technology at least um, you know fintech seems to be doing really well um, you know loads of kind of mobile payments um, you know cryptocurrency stuff is doing well and I think that's mostly testament to the fact that I think South Africa as a whole has always had a, a good sense of entrepreneurship at least kind of a, if I have to think through kind of you know at least challenges first um, you know from being here so. You know, with with both Routhemes and Converjo, you know, both of those companies were uh, at least had a global customer base. Most of it was based, you know, on, on on the US and Canada, which meant that kind of participating in a in that kind of global tech community or you know economy that was centered around. The U.S. Um, was always, you know, quite hard. I mean, if you consider things like time zones, um, you know, is a problem. I mean, there's no, there's no natural overlap between a, you know, a workday in Cape Town and a workday on, on on the West Coast, for example. Um, so kind of, you know, serving, you know, customers and uh, or connecting with mentors or like-minded peers, that was, you know, and you know, to this day is is still challenging. But on the flip side, I think, um, you know, to that as well, uh, kind of the the benefit is that um, we never, you know, and I never got stuck in almost this kind of, you know, group thinking mentality that I think sometimes happens when you're, you know, you live in a very vibrant, you know, kind of tech hub. I think there's a lot of, there's a very specific way, for example, to do, you know, to do things in, 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 in the valley, for example. You know, I, I always think back to the first days of, of Themes where, I mean, as I mentioned, I, I, st- I have a degree in, in accounting. So like, theoretically, I, I, I knew this, but, you know, when we started Themes, we, I didn't even consider, you know, venture capital. It was just not something on the radar, which meant that, you know, we just did the, the kind of the thing that made sense to us, which was to make money from, from day one. And I think, you know, that might seem like an ARB um, explanation or a example at least of what kind of group thinking you know or group thinking mentality means but i think that that's definitely been easier the fact that you know we've always been removed you know has meant that we've had to figure things out at least in our own way so not by ourselves i mean we, we, we can still tap into whether it's you know mentors or friends um you know other entrepreneurs globally or whether it's just content online we obviously learned a lot you know from, from those but at least the kind of you know thinking through things um you know we had to do you know, almost you know, at least semi-detached or in semi-detached way, which meant I think we, we came up with some unique solutions that at least worked for us um, and that were kind of not just limited to the trends that were within the, the ecosystem at the time. Yeah, no, that's really cool how you guys approach kind of that overseas mentality with building a company and interacting with your customers and that overlap it must have been so tricky <laughs> well i mean it's a it's a, to you know to this day it's it's almost impossible i mean and, you know back in the day i can remember you know before i had my own kids um it was easier because i would just work in the evenings and you know i would have that um i would have at least a couple of hours with um you know with friends and you know contacts and in the states for example but you know these days with with kids um you know it generally means it's much harder so by the time that you know the west coast wakes up like i am i'm on you know dinner and, and bathing and um you know playing duty which um which has definitely been a, a almost a kind of a augmentation of uh, of the challenge that i had you know back in the day yeah adding kids to the mix i could just imagine it just complicates things a lot more but it's you know it's obviously fun at the same time Oh yeah, I mean it's like I I wouldn't trade it for a world. It, it, you know, for anything in the world, it just means that you know scheduling calls with you know with 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 friends and and contacts in the US is um is hard. Yeah, exactly. So shifting gears a little bit, what are some of the most recent apps that you've downloaded or just hardware that you've had the chance to play around with? 
So interestingly enough, I, I, I would say I'm, I've mostly gone app light in, in the last couple of months and I've tried to at least kind of you know, divorce myself from my phone a bit. But um, kind of at least there, there's a couple that you know, do come to mind. I think, um, you know, Calm. Um, I use that for, for, for meditation often and, you know, tied to that, the five minute journal, which I, which I use for, for journaling. And then one of the newer ones that I just absolutely love, which I use on both my phone and, and on desktop um, for writing is um, Ulysses, which uh, just has a, a kind of a, a beautiful interface. So, so hardware, I'm probably going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here. So a couple of months ago, I backed a, a project on, on Kickstarter called Ulo, and uh, it's basically a filtered wine aerator that removes the sulfites from the wine and then basically kind of prevents that having a headache the next morning because sulfites are the thing that you know, can give you a headache and it might not be the most technologically advanced gadget that i've ever bought but you know considering my um, my love of red wine it's definitely the the piece of hardware that i recently bought that's given me the most joy <laughs> that's amazing and they've recently released it on kickstarter as you said um, so they've actually shipped it. Um, I think it was the, the, the Kickstarter was funded, um, late last year and then they shipped earlier, you know, earlier this year. So you can, you can buy, you just buy it directly from them now. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's highly recommended, very simple, you know, <laughs> simple product. Um, and it, you know, as far as I can tell, um, you know, the, this scientific study of one, um, it definitely seems to, to work and help with those headaches. That's amazing. So do you have any recommendation on some great content that you come across lately, either video, blog post or news article? I'll give two recommendations, but I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunately not one of those um, or those mediums. So I, I actually find myself reading less things online. And I've, at least in the last you know, couple of months, I've tried to, um, to read more books. So I'm currently reading um, The Art of Asking by Amanda Palmer. She had a, a TED Talk a year or two ago as well uh, of the same kind of title, which, which has just been fascinating, this idea of, um, you know, kind of, well, firstly making art and then, you know, asking people, you know, for support and money for that, which um, which definitely has my kind of mind spinning off in, you know, multiple directions and seeing how I can kind of use that. Um, but interestingly enough, and for someone that doesn't read a lot of fiction, um, at least I, I haven't in the you know, last couple of years, my, the favorite book that I've read this year is um, a romantic novel called um, Course of Love by Alan de Botton and um, for anyone that hasn't read him I think he's, he's just it's almost cynical um, in how he's hopelessly romantic and and that kind of duality in his writing has, has just been fascinating so um, you know for anyone that just wants a, a fictional you know kind of novel that doesn't read like fiction um, you know that was a, a phenomenal book. Those are some great recommendations. We'll definitely have to check them out after the show. So do you have any last thoughts or personal mottos that you live by that you think others should know about? So these probably change uh, you know, every now and again, kind of depending on what kind of season of my life I find myself in. But the one that um, kind of you know seems to to have stuck for a while and is very simple, kind of almost four step little you know kind of process that I that I have just a small note and I have it you know in front of me every single day just to to the left of my computer um, is, is very simple, which is just basically um, number one, show up; number two, be present; number three, do the thing; um, and then number four. Don't worry too much about the outcome or future. And that's kind of, you know, been a, a big part of at least what I've done in the last you know, 12 to 18 months and, and the things I've learned. And it definitely helped, you know, equalize um, or normalize the, my entrepreneurial or ambitious journey, at least. And it's helped me, I think, reframe my, um, just my relationship to life and, um, you know, finding enjoyable things beyond just work. Adi, thank you so much again for being on the show today and, and walking us through your journey. Awesome. Thanks again for having me. Well, that's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon.
Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support. So if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week. Thank you.